and welcome back into Around the Boards, episode four. I am your host, Nick Schmidt, going solo today as Buddy Peck uh, back in Long Island. It's uh, unfortunate that he won't be with us, but at least this time we'll have stats, we'll have notes, and we will be ready to go. So thank you for joining us here on Around the Boards. You can follow us on Twitter at ATB the Pod. That is ATB T H E P O D. You can also follow me at Schmitty999, and you can follow Buddy at Buddy Peck. Uh, Buddy, back in Long Island this weekend, as he is, he was at Game 4, and he is going to Game 6. Game 4 worked out well for him, but after getting slaughtered in Game 5, I am not so confident about Game 6. Uh, he said he was going to send me in a little rant about what he was going to do, or about what his thoughts were going into to Game game 6. Um but he hasn't sent that yet, so if he sends it, I'll make sure to, to fill it in probably right around here. And if not, that's just going to be an awkward blank space. So glad you heard it or did it. Now let's jump into it. Today's show, we're going to keep it short. We're going to keep it brief. Uh, just want to talk about the series, what's going on so far, what I think is going to happen, uh, and talk about some numbers that go along with it, uh, as well as the signing of Gerard Gallant in New York. That's a big story. And break a chuck possibly i'm sorry not brady matthew matthew kachuk possibly on the move this offseason i think that could be very interesting too so i guess we'll keep it like i said we'll keep it short it probably won't be a full hour uh but let's jump right on into it you're probably gonna be clicking around on my mouse a lot just because i am just pulling up notes as we go along here so let's start out west uh up north out west however you want to look at it um the vegas golden knights taking on the montreal Canadiens. we talked about the series beforehand but he said uh, he said Vegas in four or three if possible. And I said that I thought the Canadians were going to surprise some people and bring it seven. They are on the warpath to seven right now. They are absolutely playing out of their minds. This team is so much fun to watch, guys. They bring it every single night. Cole Cosfield, Jesper Kakiniemi. Paul Byron was waived twice this season. No one picked him up. He's awesome. Josh Anderson's making things happen. And, of course, the stud, the king, Carey Price in the back, just stopping everything that comes at him. Me and Buddy had a little bet going about who would have the higher save percentage coming out of the series. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who was benched for a game. I'll go ahead and mention that so he hears that. Or Carey Price. And so far, through five games, Carey Price playing all five has stopped 143 of 154 shots. That is good for a 929 save percentage, people. What? A 9.29 in the playoffs against the number one seed remaining and the number two seed in the league this year? Wow, crazy. Uh, and on the other side, Marc-Andre Fleury, who I mentioned, got benched for a game. He has only played four games in this series, but he stopped 94 shots of 104 taken. So that puts him good for a 9.04 save percentage. So Carey Price with a 9.29, Marc-Andre Fleury with a 9.04, and I don't see a way... That, that that changes. That will not change. I only think the the way that Vegas gets out of this is that they put more shots on Carey Price because he's got to hold up to probably a 915 to a 930 save percentage the rest of the way. So you've got to be putting 40 to 50 shots on him a night to even have an opportunity to uh, to get to get through it and maybe score two or three, maybe flurry. Is able to put up a two, uh, one or two goal performance and, and bail you out maybe with some big saves, but. So far, this series has been absolutely electric, guys. So game one, Vegas took it 4-1. to one. They brought it to them 
and it kind of was so far looking back on you know having that retrospect uh it was really reminiscent of what colorado did to vegas just the series before they laid a beat down on them they took it to them the entire game it was never even close uh, as far as Vegas and Montreal goes in game one, uh, Montreal just didn't have it. They were going into a barn that I think the atmosphere was just too much for them. They're going from having thousands of fans, a few thousand fans, to having 18,000 fans screaming in their face. They weren't ready for it. And they Carey Price allowed the four goals to Montreal's just being able to score one. But game two, they came back out. They came ready. They came out. They score early. They get on the board, and they're able to make it happen with a 3-2 to two win. Joel Armia scoring in the first. Tyler Toffoli scoring in the first. They go into the second with a two-goal lead. Paul Byron scores another one. They're up 3 nothing. And then Petrangelo puts up two goals, uh, one in the second, one in the third, to make it close. But overall, Montreal kind of had that game in hand from start to finish. So the Canadians are going back to, to Montreal, feeling good about themselves. And after some bullshit, guys, the refs will not call penalties on this Vegas team. It's incredible how few penalties have been called against them. Uh, some, some bullshit happens. Um, Montreal... Uh, they, they get a little break go their way as Josh Anderson's able to steal the puck and put it in the net against uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, just tie the game late in the third at two. And then in overtime, uh, after Corey Perry takes an awful stick to the face, comes back out of the tunnel after the game looking like a WWE star. He's got blood all over his face. He's got a little towel hanging on over it. Uh, just an ugly scene, but Josh Anderson able to get it done in overtime. I don't know how that happens. If you watch the game, it was a two on O, a bad turnover by Vegas that leads to a two on O going back to their own zone. Um, and Josh Anderson's able to make them pay uh, just with a little give and go. And Montreal takes game three. So all of a sudden they're up two games to one. And people are starting to question, can this Vegas team overcome this? Does this this young Montreal core have more than people thought they would? Except for me. I said seven games at least. Seven games Montreal loses in seven. That's minimum at this point. Game four, Vegas comes back in. They're ready to go. It becomes a low-scoring game. Uh, and Vegas is, is able to flip the script on Montreal, scoring late in the third to tie the game and then eventually winning in overtime. So two games back-to-back, both of them in, in Montreal, both of them go to overtime. And we're tied at two coming into last night's game, game five. Uh, and it just seemed like from start to finish, Montreal had the jump on them, which I was not ready for, guys. I honestly thought that it was going to be a little harder. I thought they were going to have to come from behind to win this game, uh, or they were going to have to go back to Montreal and win game six, which I, I really thought that's what was going to happen. I thought Vegas takes this one close. Montreal goes into Vegas or goes into Montreal, takes game six, go back to Vegas. Anything happens. That's your best. That's your best bet. But no, right from the get go, Jesper Kakaniemi scores just a few minutes into the first period. Then Eric Stahl uh, in the second, followed by Cole Caulfield. That kid's absolutely electric. Uh, there's definitely no shot I'm not buying a Cole Caulfield USA jersey because he is amazing. Uh, just the things that he is able to do um, with the puck. At, he, it gets on a stick and he rips it off incredibly fast. Uh, he, he, is, he is electric. And, and honestly, like a team that I never really cared for, you know, Montreal, it's, it's, it's kind of hit or miss for me. There's no divisional rivalry with the Avalanche. 
There's no hometown field. I don't know any Canadians fans, so I didn't really have a connection there. But they are fun, guys. This team is so much fun. And then they cap it off with the uh, empty netter and the four-point night for Nick Suzuki here at the end. He's also incredibly fun to watch. So now Montreal has a uh, three games to two lead going back to Vegas or going back to Montreal, excuse me, for uh, for game six. So they have the home ice advantage as well. So you look at what they what the the stats tell you about teams that win game five on the road. 76.2% of the time, they go on to win the series. That's a good amount. 70, they have a 76.2% chance to win this series. Had Vegas won it, they'd have an 80% chance being the home team. That's the Tampa Bay Lightning. We'll talk about that after. But 76% chance for this Montreal Canadiens team to go to the Stanley Cup. You talk about big markets that need wins and teams that that need to be good for the Stanley Cup playoffs to get the ratings that they need. I'm using a lot of air quotes here. You can't see them, but... It doesn't matter. This team is fun. And if you want to be a part of hockey, you want to watch hockey, you want to get more into hockey, these are the guys to watch, man. These guys bring it every night. They're young. They're fun. Corey Perry, a guy that is notoriously hated throughout the league, especially by fans, is somehow fun. He's a fun guy to watch on this team. He's not doing his typical antics. He, he's playing good hockey, and, and he's being a team player. And the and the, the I hate to say it, but he's a veteran presence that this team needs. It's incredible. What they're doing is absolutely awesome. The Jeff Petrie blood eyes too. It's it's oh, they are doing some demon shit here, and uh, and I love it. I'm I'm a huge fan of Montreal. I think they get it done in six. And I'll be honest, guys, I'll tell you a little secret here. If this was the Avalanche, I don't think it's any better. I think that this team was massively underrated all season long. People talk shit about the North Division, how bad it was. They talked about how this team doesn't have the firepower to get it done. They're going to rely on Carey Price every night. Yeah, they're putting up four goals multiple times against Las Vegas. They're putting up four goals against Marc-Andre Fleury. That's, that's extremely good. This team was massively underrated, and as much as I wanted the Avalanche to be in the conference final, I don't think it gets any better, and I think losing to Vegas might feel better than losing to Montreal. I don't think I don't think that the Avs would have gotten through this, so incredible stuff by Montreal. Really excited for what they've done so far, uh, and, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they continue to do. Now, obviously, this could also break the other way. You could have Vegas all of a sudden come out beat the hell out of them in game six, go back to Vegas in game seven, then they have the upper hand. They're looking at, you know, them going back to Vegas with a 3-3 series and uh, 42% of the time the home team wins in game. Oh, wow. That's actually interesting. In game seven. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Just 42.7% of the time does a team, does the home team in game seven win in the last 10 years. So... That's extremely interesting. According to HockeyReference.com, that is what the statistic is. That's crazy that the home team actually, well, I guess, yeah. Because if they, after losing a series 3-2, to two, yeah, then they have to fight back for two consecutive wins. And that's not likely. So, yeah, that makes sense, actually. Huh. That's shocking. Um, coming to realizations right on the show. Of course I did my research. I am not Buddy Peck. Um... 
So, I mean, that could also happen. Things can go either way here. It's it's not it's not a given that the that they're going to be able to just walk their way to the Stanley Cup now to go on and take the Islanders or Tampa Bay, depending on how that goes. And we'll talk about that next for sure. But uh, a game seven records by franchise. I'm trying to look at it right now. Vegas, uh, 2-1 all-time uh, at home, 2-0 all-time. 2-0 at home all-time uh, against in a game seven. Montreal on the road in a game seven, 7-6 seven all-time. So not great numbers on Montreal's side for that. Vegas, obviously a relatively new franchise, so you can't really judge too much off of that, especially with the fiasco that went on. Uh, just a few years ago. So, um, going to be an interesting ending. Definitely catch that game if you can, because that that team, like I said, I, I can't I can't stress it enough. That team is uh, just it, it it's it's a wagon. That's the only way to put it. They are the bandwagon of the playoffs. People don't want to see Vegas win because their fans overall cry a lot for a team that is less than one Olympics old. Tampa Bay, nobody wants to see the team that's $18 million over the cap and the the reigning champion win again. Makes sense. And the Islanders, I guess, are the other team, but a lot of people say they play boring hockey, and I'm sure if Buddy Peck was here right now, he would fight me tooth and nail on that point. But overall, they do. They, they play a simplistic style of hockey that doesn't really get through to a lot of people. It's, it's great as a as a hardcore hockey fan, but to the casual fan, I could see how that could be boring hockey. It's absolutely a valid point. Let's move on to that series then. Game one, Buddy and I did a show right after the game. He was very excited after the Islanders took down Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay 2-1. to one. Game two, Tampa Bay rolls back out the other way. Tampa Bay comes out, they score four goals against the Islanders. It's not easy to win when their team scores four goals against you. Uh... That one, Braden Point scores early in the first. Brock Nelson answers back just a few minutes later. Then in the second, Andre Palat scores the only go. And then kind of Vegas goes on this run. Andre Palat, like I said, in the second. Early in the third, Jan Ruda scores. And then midway through the third, Victor Hedman makes it 4-1. to Barzal is able to net one late uh, from Everly and Letty, but it's not enough. Uh, it was a great shot by Barzal. Uh, but overall, just when you're down four to one that late in the game, the game is over. But obviously, things could be a lot worse than four to two. Game three, going back to the island, Tampa Bay looking to steal what they have to steal to hold serve. You got to split with uh, with the Islanders to to hold that home ice advantage, and they do so right away. Game one, uh, ten minutes in, Yanni Gord scores. Uh, and then in the second period, Cal Clutterbuck answers back, ties the game at one. And then uh, with just 20 seconds remaining in the second period, Braden Point scores from Victor Hedman and Kita Kucherov, his 11th of the postseason. He scored in like 15 of their last 19 playoff games or something like that. I don't know the exact statistic, but it's wild how many he was on an eight game goal streak. This guy's insane, dude. Like, Braden Point had absolutely has showed up for the playoffs yet again for Tampa Bay. And he's a big reason uh, of why they are the team that they are. Uh, and I, I think he's really driving the boat there. Obviously, um, they have other leaders like Nikita Kucherov, Stamkos, Victor Hedman, 
Uh, Andre Vasilevsky in net obviously has to be your best player. He's posting a 938 save percentage in the playoffs right now. That's unheard of, people. A 938 through this playoffs. It's 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 no wonder that that this team is is a 18 million dollars over the cap and b looking to repeat a Stanley Cup title. Uh, they are a great team all around. They have they have weapons on every single line. It's it's just never ending, and I think that's what's be that's what's going to inevitably beat the Islanders. Uh, you know they talk about you know you hear people talk about the Islanders' depth. Uh, at forward being a problem, that doesn't seem to be the problem in this series. That fourth line is scoring. I already told you Cal Clutterbuck scored. I mean, you're looking at Casey Zizekas, uh, Cal Clutterbuck. These guys are scoring goals uh, and, and getting things done on the in the offensive zone. It's their defensive depth, guys. You got six guys back there that are trying to stop line after line after line. It just never ends. And Pelican and Pulak are doing a great job of shutting down. But everywhere else, the Islanders are struggling. So you you look at that, and that's that's inevitably going to be the issue. Um, so game four, like I said, Buddy in the building, he was snapping me all night, uh, just sending me videos and, uh, and and pictures of him. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, just go to Buddy's Twitter. You'll see our friend Dalton put together a little a little uh, uh, memoir for him that night because I'm sure based on the pictures of Buddy, I don't think he remembers much of what happened. Um, no goals in the first in that game. Second period, five minutes in, Josh Bailey gets one. Then Matt Barzal gets in on the party. And then Matt Martin joins in late in the third. And all of a sudden, it's 3 nothing. Buddy's having a good time, drinking beers, sending me videos and pictures of nonsense. Third period, Braden Point jumps into the party. He is able to score just three minutes and 45 seconds into the third period. Uh, and then just a few minutes later, Tyler Johnson nets one. And all of a sudden, it's a one-goal game. And that game is capped off by one of the most impressive things I have ever seen. I couldn't believe what I witnessed for about the last 10 seconds. Uh, Tampa Bay had so many good scoring opportunities. They kept looking for it, and then with about three to two, two, three to two seconds left, Nikita Kucherov gets the puck at the point, and he's got a lane to shoot, I think, maybe through a guy's legs. It's going to be tough to get it through, and this is why he's in the NHL, for one of many, many reasons, but this is one reason why he is in the NHL, and I am not, guys, is because he takes that puck and he spins with it. He spins around and he stops and then he sh- he shoots a backhand and it clanks it off of Pellick's hand. Adam Pellick slides through the crease after Simeon Varlamov. What are you doing on that play to start with? He comes about six feet out of his crease trying to cut down an angle. But then Kudrov does that sweet spin move. And I'm thinking that puck, there's no way that puck is A, getting to the net within the last three seconds or B, hitting the net. I mean, it's a spin move with 11 guys on the ice and all of them are in front of you. Uh, but he does it. And I thought it just like missed the net or it got blocked or whatever. And then the Islanders won. And then I saw everybody pile on Pelic and I was like, oh, he must, uh, he must have made, or Pulak, I'm sorry, not Pelic. Uh, I was like, oh, he must have made that last block. And then I saw the replay. What the hell? Pulak comes sliding across the front of the goal mouth. Kucherov, I've shot. Screw me, right? That shot is freaking perfect, man. He spins. It's got time to get there. It's going in the net right down Broadway. 
Pulak slides across one knee down with his hand out, blocks the puck away. That is the save of the game. Yes, for sure. But that that might go down as one of the saves of all time if the Islanders are able to complete this run. Uh, you, you, I mean, how many other saves do you think of when you think of greatest saves in the playoffs in recent history? I can think of one. I think of that Braden Holpe save uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals against the Vegas Golden Knights at the last second when he reaches across with his uh, with his blocker hand with his stick on it and stops the puck. That is the only save that I could think of that is more memorable in the last 10 years than this one. That was wild. That is a game stealer for them, and they're able to knock the series back up. Great job by them. They hold home ice, or they don't hold home ice advantage, but they don't have to go back into Tampa Bay down three games to one. So good for them. Unfortunately, game five doesn't need much talking about. They absolutely get boat raced, eight to nothing. It's never close. It never was close. I watched the first five minutes, and I kind of knew that that game was going to be over. Uh,. Very early on, it, it, the Islanders didn't look ready. They uh, they came out just not not ready to play against a former Stanley Cup winning team, like the the reigning champion. Steven Stamkos scores 45 seconds in the period. I'm like, okay, Isles are gonna have some work to do here, but they can definitely get it done. But then you know, nine minutes later, Yanni Gord scores, and then at the end of the first, Alex Kalorn scores, and you're looking at okay, it's three nothing going into the second period against one of the, a the best goaltender in the playoffs right now, arguably. I guess you could consider Carey Price, but if you're looking at save percentage and save percentage only, that on, throughout the entire playoffs, not just in their series right now, then you're looking at uh, Andre Vasilevsky. So they've got to beat him now four times without allowing one just to just to get a win. Second period, five minutes in, Steven Stamkos again. Ten minutes later, Andre Palat. Just a couple minutes after that, Alex Kalorn. So they go back-to-back three-goal periods without allowing the Islanders to score. It's 6-0. Going into the third period, at this point, uh, I had turned the game off. There's just no point of watching that. That's not even hockey at this point. Uh, And then just a couple minutes into the third, Braden Point. And then later on, Luke Shen adds to it. Um, Let's see, one, two, three. Three power play goals. For, for Tampa Bay in this one. Just not close. Uh, and it was tough to watch, honestly. It's hard uh, watching your team get blown out like that. Luckily, the Avs never got that badly blown out in these playoffs. But they did do it to Vegas once, but it came out to be null and void by the end of the series. Which is what the Islanders have to look at and say, yeah, exactly. You lose a game one nothing, You lose a game 3-2. You lose a game 8 nothing. It doesn't matter. It's one loss on the board. Now they have to go back to Long Island here tonight, and they have to win tonight's game. They have to. It is do or die, backs against the wall. Uh, and Buddy had pointed out that when uh, Barry Trotz took the Capitals on their uh, Stanley Cup run, they were also down 3-2 in the semifinals, uh, in the conference finals uh, before the Stanley Cup, to Pittsburgh, and they had to come back and erase those demons to get there. So... It's uh, it's a world that Barry Trotz is familiar with, and he's got to make sure that his team is acclimated, ready to go. I can tell you that barn is going to be rocking tonight. Like I said, Buddy's going to be there again, so good for him. Uh, but there's a lot of work to be done. And like I said earlier, we were pointing out, I was pointing out stats of uh, Game Six records. So if uh, if uh, after winning Game Five and leading a series three two, the home team wins twenty percent of those games. So that's what you're looking at for. Oh, I'm so. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So down three games to two. Or, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Down three games to two. Here we go. Uh, the road team wins 76.2% of those games. So now that's what they have to do. Uh, they have to go in. Or no, I'm sorry. They're going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm right. Um, 72.6% of those games. So it's going to be, that is what Tampa Bay's winning percentage is in this series. If they are, because they are up three games to two after winning game five, going into the visitor's barn. So 76.2% of the time they win those games. So they've got the upper hand here. Now, can they finish? That's the hard part. Can they go in there and can they make sure it happens? Because I, like I said, I, I thought from the beginning, I thought that the the series was going to go seven. I thought that it was going to be Tampa Bay in seven. Um, so I would, I mean, I would like to be right, but I would also really like Buddy to be happy. So he's more fun when he is. Uh, so the Islanders, if they could, they need to try and force a game seven. All time in game sevens, they've only played one game seven ever at home. That is... That is an uh, 0-1 at home in Game 7s. 4-4 on the road. That's pretty good. 500 on the road is very good, and that's something I think that they can feel good about going into it. Uh, If they force a Game 7 and the Tampa Bay is at home, they have a 3-1 record all time at home Game 7. So that's a 750 winning percentage. It's an uphill battle for for New York, and they're going to need their stars to show out, um, and they're going to need more insane stuff from their defense and that's where it all starts guys they have to hold vegas or i'm sorry they have to hold tampa bay to uh a small amount of goals they have to hold them to two or three to even have a chance you can't allow them to get that offense ramped up because once they do as you saw in game five it doesn't stop once that offense is clicking that's it and you just gotta hope that tampa bay maybe eases off the gas a little bit tonight so they can come back and win this game it's a very hard road for them to travel. But I think they can do it. Uh, you know, Varlamov allowed three of those goals in Game 5 before getting pulled, and Sorokin came in and allowed the rest. Um, and I think if you're Barry Trotz, you have to go back to uh, back to Varlamov tonight. He has been nails for you. Uh, he's been very good throughout the playoffs. He's been his, uh, basically, uh, I mean, I watched him for years here. I mean, he was probably the second greatest goaltender in Avalanche history to this point. I think that I think watching him, that was the best I've ever seen him play uh, over this this playoff run. I think that is the best hockey I've seen Semyon Varlamov play in a long, long time, at least. Um, so, yeah, I they need him to be good. They need Barzal. They need Eberle. They need those guys to step up and get shit done. Uh, you got to get out on top of them early. If you can get a one or two goal lead early on, I think that is the key here because Tampa Bay is going to push back as they did in other games in the series. But overall, when the Islanders get out to an early lead, they win. That's that's how they do it because their defense is good. It's hard to stop all those lines. Like I said, like you look back to to uh, game. I'm sorry, you look back to game four. Uh, the Islanders had a three nothing lead. They're trying to stop all these lines. They do a great job, shut down job for the first forty minutes, and then in the third period, they allow two goals to Tampa. Or else, they're right back in it. So, exactly like I said, you have to get out to an early lead and just play that slow, boring defense that the New York Islanders do. And that's the key to them. So that being said, probably Tampa in seven. Yeah, that's my guess. I think that the Islanders are able to steal one in front of their home 
the home crowd tonight, and I'm sticking to my story of Tampa and seven. Um, because then they're going to go back to their home crowd, which you know isn't that loud, but it's not a hostile environment. It's not a environment that they have to worry about. It's it's them sleeping in their own beds. It's them getting getting all of their their own uh, their own hometown feels and, and getting to feel comfortable um, and not having to be harassed by the crowd the entire game. So, like I said, Tampa's crowd not that exciting. Honestly, it, it kind of sounded like a library in game one. Uh, but that was, uh, that was tough to watch, but yeah, I think, I think that they can get it done in front of their home crowd cause they don't have to deal with the hostility. So Tampa and seven, that's my guess. I'm kind of getting onto a rant here. So let's move on. Uh, other news and notes from around the NHL, the New York Rangers have hired Gerard Gallant to be their first, uh, or to be their next head coach, uh, in their storied franchise. So Gallant, I'm pulling up his statistics right now. Uh, these are his playing statistics. That is not what I want. Um, let's see. Let's find his coaching statistics here. Uh, well, I mean, you know, Glott's been around the league for a while. He seems like a guy that has a veteran presence, and he's able to to get guys to culminate within a room. Uh, you know, he coached in Vegas. That was the last place that he was before getting kicked out for DeBoer can't stand a bore man he cries about everything and when he runs out of things to cry about he just goes back to the well so that's all i have to say about that but glott all time 540 games coached 270 go or 270 wins 215 losses uh so he that is for a 502 points percentage and a 504 winning percentage he's a 500 guy that is what he is he has been 500 his entire career now you look back to his vegas years in his most recent seasons and they weren't too bad. Uh, his first year in Vegas, 51 and 24. That's a 622 winning percentage. Uh, 43 and 34. That's a 524. It gets a little worse. And then in his final year, they were 24 and 19. Uh, oh, sorry, 24, 19, and 6 uh, for a 490 winning percentage uh, in his Vegas tenure. So. Things obviously slipped out of his hands there. Vegas, a very capable team, which makes you wonder, how can Gallant help here? Because the his last before that was in Florida, which we all know was not good. He was 38, 29, and 15 in his first year, 47, 26, and 9 in his second year, 11, and 9, and 1 in his third year before being let go. He has three-year stints. He has three three-year three stints. He's got three years with the Blue Jackets, three years with the Panthers, three years with the Knights. And a five five oh four winning percentage. Uh, that's just not great. And I don't know if this is the guy that New York wants to bring in. Obviously, they've already made their decision that he will be their coach. And he is the guy that they want to bring in. But I just don't know, guys. I, I think that their young talent that they have in Kakao, and they, they have Panarin as well. And obviously, Adam Fox had a fantastic year just this past year. Uh, and he probably won't win the Norris because Kel McCarr is just so good, and that's not his fault. Um, but I, they have young talent, and are you really going to waste another, probably based on his track record, three years with Gerard Gallant? Now, I know you could say, who else do you look at? Who else is out there? John Tortorella? No. Obviously, you're not bringing Torts back anytime soon. He's not the guy to take a team on a run. He's the guy that gets a team out of the dog shit when they're when they're down in it. 
but he's not the guy that takes them over the top. He's just he's not that guy, pal. Uh, so it's it's an interesting hire by the New York Rangers. It's an interesting new decision uh, or a new a new way to go for them um, away from David Quinn. But I'm I'm very interested to see how that goes. Uh, I think that he. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he maybe he will be the guy that can get them to that next step and get them. I mean, the next step for the Rangers is getting into the playoffs. You have to get there before you even worry about beating certain teams, getting to the conference finals, getting to the Stanley Cup, winning the Stanley Cup. You have to get into the playoffs first, and it's not easy. I know the Avalanche made it look easy when they came back off of their rebuild and they made it in their first year on the rebuild on their true true rebuild, but that's not normal. That doesn't happen. You don't find guys like the avalanche you don't have nathan mckinnon's breakout into these insane seasons like it, it could it happen for cacao absolutely it could will it happen probably not it's unlikely it's not impossible but it's not likely either so for the rangers i think there's still work to be done there i think gallant probably comes in i would say three years makes the play my guess three years makes the playoff once gets the second round Next year, they start off a little slow. He gets fired. Three years. So first year, they miss. Second year, they make it. And he gets them to the second round. Third year, starts a little slow. Gets fired early on for whoever the next man is. Cool. We talked about Gerard Gallant. Moving on. Okay, here's an interesting thing that it seems like a lot of Avalanche fans want to talk about, but it kind of pertains throughout the league. Matthew Kachuk. Let's talk about him. Calgary Flames kid. Expiring contract, expiring RFA contract at the end of the year, so they'd have to give up a certain amount of compensatory picks. Don't know exactly what that would look like, or they can make a sign-in trade. It's also possible. But Matthew Kachuk coming off of his three-year contract of $7 million per, uh, where is he going? Is is his time in Calgary up? Is, is it time for him to move on? Calgary, I know they're not happy with things that have happened there. They're not happy with the way things have gone over the last few years. And I think they're looking to make a big change. I think they're looking to move. They already moved out Sam Bennett. I think they're looking to move out probably Goudreau, probably Kachuk. They're probably looking to just start fresh all over again. Move them all out and let's let's get going from, from scratch. So that leaves the question of what happens to these guys. Does he fit in Colorado? Um no, Colorado has no money, guys. If you're an Avs fan, you're listening to this, and you want to hear more about Matthew Kachuk, it just—it doesn't make sense, guys. It, it makes no sense for the Avs to sign him. Yeah, he's the tough guy. I know a lot of people think that the Avs need to be bigger, tougher. But do they? Because they just took on two of the biggest, quote, toughest, quote, teams in the uh, Western Conference or in the NHL as a whole. I mean, that is St. Louis's identity. They are big, strong, burly, tough However you want to say it. Uh, and the Avs beat them in four. The Avs just, their skill, their speed is too good. Vegas inevitably got the better of them, but I don't think that was because of the way Vegas played. I believe that is because of the way that Colorado played. Uh, I think Colorado played themselves out of that spot, and they played themselves uh, just completely out of the playoffs with the way that they played in the last five games of that series. So, um I don't think Matthew Kachuk is the option because, A, the Avs have no cap room. You're already worried about signing Landis Cog, Makar, Grubauer, maybe Brandon Saad if you can somehow finagle away. I would much rather finagle Brandon Saad for another six mil contract than I would taking on a nine, 
eight, nine, ten. I don't know. I don't know what Matthew Kachuk's next contract looks like because he's been playing on such a bad team. It's like the Jack Eichel situation. Um, but, yeah, you're probably looking at, like, the eight to nine range for for Matthew Kachuk's next contract. The Avs don't have that. I would rather that they have that money for Makar. They have the nine, probably, probably nine for Makar if it's a long-term deal. Uh, seven for Landy. And then you have to find room for Grubauer. You have to make that room somehow. Uh, and... Not to stick on the Avs the whole time, but uh, I just think I just don't think that there's room for him on the Avalanche. So I think we need to drop that, move on. The Avs need to keep Grubauer. And those of you that are saying that there's better goalies on the market, show them to me. You got basically three options if you go away from Grubauer if you're the Avalanche. You've got Drierder, Drierden, the goalie out of uh, Drieger, Drieger, Drieden, Drieger. I think it's Drieger. Uh, the goalie out of Florida, coming off of his contract, he'll be a free agent. They're obviously not going to be able to sign him with $10 million lapped up in Bobrovsky and looking to Spencer Knight to start next. That is their tandem for next year. That's the end of that. You got New York. You could call New York. They have cap problems. The Islanders have cap problems. Um, they did last year the, because they had to move out. Who? Devon Taves. Who called him? Joe Sackick. Who got the deal done? Joe Sackick. Great job by him. To get Devon Taves here, he's been awesome. But, I mean, that's going to be another problem that they have. Varlamov said to make another $6 million this year. Can they afford that? I don't know. Do you do you trust Sorokin to be your goaltender of the future? Do you move on to him now and maybe find him a, a backup that's a little bit less expensive than $6 million so you can keep some of those forwards in there? Maybe. Buddy doesn't seem to think so. But I think if they need, if they are ready, if they are confident in Sorokin, that would be the move. Because if they don't, Farlamov's contract value drops a lot next year. He's still making six mil, but he's only got one year left. He's another year older. And who knows how he plays next year, guys? Who knows if he's the same Varlamov that he was this year? I don't I don't know. Um goaltenders are so hit or miss, and he's so he's he had a hot year. And he they could probably get the maximum out of him right now. I think that that's an option for Colorado. Bring Varlamov back. He's I think I think Varlamov's on the move this offseason. Sorry, buddy. And then the third option, you go back to the well. Where have you gone the last two goaltenders that you needed? You called Washington. Hey, we need a goaltender. Yeah, you could have Varlamov. You called Washington. Hey, we need a goaltender. Yeah, we'll trade you for Philip Grubauer. You call Washington a third time. Hey, we need a goaltender. Yeah, you're on Samsonov. Okay, then we'll take Vicek Vanacek. Oh, you're on Vicek Vanacek? We'll take Samsonov. Oh, you're on Samsonov and Vicek Vanacek? Even Phoenix Copley could be in play. Uh, I don't. I think that those those options ranking wise would go for me: Vicek Vanacek, um, Samsonov, and then uh, and then Copley last. But but I think that Vanacek or Samsonov could be a guy, and they're both not going to be starters forever. So Washington is so good at developing goaltenders. It's it's. I don't know what their system is over there, but they have got it nailed, dude. They've just got it down. They keep moving these guys out. Okay, you take Varlamov. Oh, we got Braden Hopi now. Okay, you take Braden or you take Philip Grubauer, another guy that that probably would have won them a cup if they had given them the chance that year. 
Okay. Grubauer's gone. Okay. Uh, Braden Holpe, yeah, go ahead. We'll walk walk away. We've got Vicek Vanacek next, and he's probably going to be a stud, and they're probably going to let him walk. And then they've got Samsonov, and he's probably going to be a stud, and they're probably going to let him walk at something. And then there's probably going to be another five to ten guys over the next five to ten years that continue to come out of that system because it's so good. Oh, it's incredible what they're doing there. Matthew Kachuk, probably on the move this offseason. A lot of places that make sense for him. Uh, I would like to see Columbus be involved because uh, if they can get a guy locked up there like Matthew Kachuk, maybe it brings in the guys that they need because they're having real troubles there holding down their, their assets. Uh, and I think that maybe a guy like Matt Kachuk is, is a locker room guy that can bring you more vets. I don't know. There's a lot of options there. We could do a whole show on Matt Kachuk, and I'm sure – Buddy and I will talk about it more next week because I would love to hear his thoughts and uh, and maybe maybe do a little bit more looking and digging into just how hard uh, Calgary is looking to move him. So, well, we're about forty minutes in. I said we were going to try and keep it brief, but uh, I guess this is this is where we are now. So, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I know it's just my voice. I know it's a, ro- a lot of rambling and at some points just trying to collect my own thoughts as I talk. But thanks for tuning in. Remember to follow us on Twitter at ATBThePod. Follow me at Schmitty999 and follow Buddy at at BuddyPeck. That one's a pretty easy one to remember. Also, remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. Helps us out a ton. If we can see our viewers, see what we're getting to. And uh, and feel free to reach out to us on Twitter if you have any opinions or, or you want to, you know, maybe we can get you on the show and uh, you can kind of talk to us about what you think. So thanks for listening. Tune in again next week when Buddy Peck is back. We'll catch you.